great. I'm so excited to be here with you on your first Sunday in the Hive. I only found out this was going to be the case about a week ago because uh, we didn't even plan it. So it wasn't like a thing, it just kind of happened. Um, I, I walked, walked around the building with James, I think it was November. Just he showed me, showed me what, you know, what was going on, all the sort of building work and stuff. And so to be with you on your first Sunday in the Hive is absolutely great. And um, you're going to need to probably either start doing uh, two services or get a bigger building because you're full. Okay, so in case you hadn't noticed that, um, that's just the elephant in the room. It's your new building and you're full on week one. I don't know whether, the, whether you're full of friends and family supporting or, or what. But, uh, but I, so, so, I'm, so I'm, when I heard... <laughs> oh, I'm with them for their first Sunday. I just was praying, Lord, what should I, what should I, um, what should I preach about? And so I want to pre- I want to take us to two Chronicles six, which is the dedication of the temple. Now, before you all start worrying, I, 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 my theology is okay. Okay, I know the building isn't the church. I know the building isn't the temple. I know that, but I do think there are some, there are some things uh, in this passage that perhaps could be helpful for you guys as a church over this next season as you step into having a building and some of the things went there. That, that, that was, immediately I thought I'm going to preach on that, went to the passage and thought, oh yeah, there's some, there's some great stuff in here. So 2 Chronicles, when was the last time you had a sermon on 2 Chronicles? <laughs> Can you even find it? <clears throat> 2 Chronicles chapter 6. Um, I'm going to read that uh, to you uh, in just a moment. So, shout when you got it. You're not shouters, are you? I've, clocked, I've noticed as a church, you're not shouters. That's all right, that's not wrong, but I've just noticed. So, are there any, are there any secret shouters? Are there, ah, there's always a few. So listen, if I'm preaching and, and you get stirred and moved, feel free to just shout. Amen. Because there are actually commands in the Bible to shout. Did you know that? Yeah, it's really, it's really great. So you're, you've got permission from the Lord. Um, two Chronicles... Chapter 6. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's quite long, but I'm quite a good reader, so it'll be alright. And then we're going to read just a few verses into chapter 7 also. Um, so just, you know, if you want to follow it, you can. If you want to just sit and listen, you know, take yourself take yourself there. It's amazing when you, when you read, images form in your mind, don't they? That's why when you see a film of a book you've read, you go, hold on a minute, it's wrong. Because you've formed a whole load of images in your mind. That's the, that's the wonder of reading. You read words, but in your mind you're, you're seeing things. So if it helps you to just close your eyes as I read, then you know, whatever helps you to engage with the text. So 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 1. <clears throat> then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness, but I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Then the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel, with all the assembly of Israel, while all the assembly of Israel stood. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hand has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to David my father, saying, Since the day that I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there. And I chose no man as prince over my people Israel, but I have chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there. And I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to David, my father, whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, it is not you who shall build the house, 
but your son <clears throat> who shall be born to you shall build the house for my name. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made. For I have risen in the place of David my father and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And there I have set the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with the people of Israel. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Solomon had made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide, three cubits high and had set it in the court and he stood on it. Then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk in my law as you have walked before me. Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David. But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. You have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be opened day and night towards this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers towards this place, and listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, and listen from heaven, your dwelling place, when you hear, forgive. If a man sins against his neighbour and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, repaying the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. If your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they've sinned against you and they turn again and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave to them, to their fathers. When heaven is shut up and there's no rain because they've sinned against you, if they pray towards this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sins of your servants, your people Israel, when, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. If there's famine in the land, if there's pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemies besiege them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing his own affliction and his own sorrow and stretching out his hands towards this house, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and render each whose heart you know according to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of the children of mankind that they may fear you and walk in your ways all the days they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays towards this house, hear from heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you. 
in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house I have built is called by your name. If your people go out to battle against their enemies, by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to you towards this house that you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name, let's say it together, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their course. If they sin against you, for there's no one who doesn't sin, and you're angry with them, and give them to an enemy, so they're carried away captive to a land far or near, yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive, and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity, saying, we've sinned, we've acted perversely and wickedly, if they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity to which they were carried captive and pray toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city that you've chosen and the house that I've built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their pleas and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, O oh my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. And now arise, O oh Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests, O oh Lord God, be clothed with salvation and let your, sins rejo- let your saints rejoice in your goodness. O oh Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Remember your steadfast love For David, your servant, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord and the temple They bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, let's say it together, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. What a moment, what an amazing moment in the history of Israel. You know, when Moses built the tabernacle previously, he says that after he'd done it all, fire came from heaven. Here, after they'd done it all, fire came from heaven and then when they were sent into exile and the temple was destroyed and they came back and they built the second temple guess what fire didn't come from heaven you have to wait till Pentecost and fire came from heaven on the temple living stones which is why this place is not a temple and please don't let anyone call this room a sanctuary That must be one of the rules of this church going forward. People will call it a sanctuary. It's not a sanctuary. It's a hall. Okay? Because if you start saying that, you begin to undermine the reality that guess what is the sanctuary? Us. Us. He's made us. He's dwelling place. So it's so important that we have these things in our mind. There are three things I want to bring to you from this passage today. I've spent most of my sermon time reading, but not to worry. The first is this intergenerational fulfilment of both godly longing and prophetic promise. I'll say that again. Intergenerational fulfilment of both godly longing and prophetic promise. It's a wonderful phrase here that Solomon... I don't know if this phrase appears anywhere else. It probably appears in 1 Kings 8, which is like a parallel passage talking about... It's kind of like a parallel record of the dedication of the temple. And it's this phrase. What you promised with your mouth you've fulfilled with your hand it's a fantastic phrase it appears twice in the passage that I read I don't know if you noticed it 
What, this is how it works, folks. This is how the prophetic works. God promises it with his mouth, and then who fulfills it? He does. With his hand. Our role is to believe him. It's an active believing. It's, a, it's not a passive believing. It's an active believing. It involves seeking him, you know, acting in faith. But he's the one who fulfills it. You haven't got to fulfill his promises for him. He's very able to do that. Do you believe that? Yeah? You haven't got to help him. You remember some of the bits in Isaiah where, where God talks about the worship of idols and he's like, oh look, they're, they're nailing down their idol so it doesn't fall over. And then they've got, to, they've got to carry it with them. And God's mocking it the whole time because it's like, the reason why is because they're dead. They're, they're just the works of people's hands. And I am the living God. Does not he who created the eye see? Doesn't he who created the mouth speak? He's the living God so we don't have to do it for him. You haven't got to do anything for him. Amen? It's like when Abraham and Sarah tried to help God along with the promise of the baby. It's not coming. We've got, well, okay, we'll, we'll figure it out. No! Don't figure it out. Don't, if he said he will do it with his mouth, he will fulfil it with his hand. But, timing is often the thing, right? So it was a longing in David's heart. He looked around at his palace and he's like, we want to build a house for God. And Nathan the prophet was like, yeah, great idea, go for it. Nathan goes home, goes to bed and God says, no. Go and tell David it's not for him. He's got blood on his hands. His son will do it. So he's this lovely desire, he's affirmed for his desire, but it's not, now's not the time for it. So it's intergenerational, but it's a fulfilment of the prophetic intergenerationally. And um, I just felt as I was preparing that for some of you here, there's some sick hearts in the room. The Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. There are things that God has spoken. And you think, well, where is it? Well, sometimes we see it in our day, sometimes we're serving another generation. And if you are serving another generation, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. Peter talks about the prophets in the Old Testament and he says, he says they knew. They knew that what they were seeing about the Messiah wasn't going to be in their generation, but they prophesied about it. Why? Because they're serving the generation to come. If you ever sit down with someone who's not a believer, maybe you're here and you're not a believer yet, you don't know Jesus yet, or maybe you're here someone and you're frequently sitting down with people that aren't believers yet, but they want to know more, and you can take them to Old Testament prophecies and then show how Jesus fulfills them in the New Testament, completely like, there's certain things you go, well yeah, okay, look, he said he's going to come into Jerusalem on a donkey, he chose a donkey, anyone could have done that, yeah, okay, but could he have, could he have made it so that they, they cast lots for his clothing while he was being crucified? No. No. He, couldn't, he didn't arrange that. That just happened in the fulfilment of the Psalms. There's his, and, and time and time again, extraordinary fulfilments, not one of his bones will be broken. Came to break his legs on the cross so that, they, so that, that he would die sooner. Just about to do it, he's already dead. Pierced his side, as was prophesied. All of these extraordinary fulfilments. Those who prophesied these things, they knew they would never see it. But they still served their heart out so that you and me can sit down in Costa with people that don't know Jesus yet and say, Look at this and look at what Jesus did. Isn't that wonderful? And so we go, no, we're part of something so much bigger than just our generation and what we are doing. And, uh, you know, I just want to encourage 
you. Some of you, you're, you're kind of, what, but what about, but what about? And, and, and the heart can retract and you can begin to, you know, your heart can get sick in these things. And sometimes it's about, no, press in, it is for this generation. But sometimes it's for more, it's, it's a bigger thing and we've got to get our heads around the fact that we are part of a bigger Story, but I do feel that for some of you, it's, you've got to dust off the promises again. I don't know. I'm, I don't know where you, you guys are at in terms of the things that God has spoken to you as a church, what you're living with. But I felt it's really important that uh, that you dust them off corporately, that you spend time in them. Maybe they, maybe you have, but maybe maybe you are the church. But some of you in your hearts, you're not engaging with that. Because I've done it before, been there before, didn't see it come to pass. I want to encourage you and urge you to build a kind of spiritual resilience where there's always things we don't quite understand. But that's different from shrinking back in your heart. You go, no, I don't get all of that, but I'm going to keep pressing. I just feel for some of you, God wants to minister to you. I also felt like, um, for some of you, it's particularly about children that aren't following the Lord. I feel that the Lord really wanted to do... This was during the praise. I just felt... I think that um, there's going to be some sons and daughters returning to the Lord. <laughs> and that for some of you, actually, there's almost a call to pray together about that, to galvanise prayer for that. Um, it's, it's kind of, I don't know that anything of the history of the church or anything, but it felt like there was a, there was a bit of a generation that was stolen. That was the kind of feel and that was the kind of sense, sense of it, spiritually. And, uh, and, that, and that it's like, no. Remember when, da- remember when David's, um, David and his, his band, they're out, you know, they're out sort of terrorising Philistines or whatever, they come back and all their wives and children and everything's been stolen. You remember that? It's been stolen, I think, it's the Amalekites came and it's gone. And they, and they chased them and they recovered and they came back with more than had been stolen. It's a kind of a, you know... But, but actually, before all that happened, when they got back and saw what happened, it says that David's, David's remember going to turn on him, and it says this, David strengthened himself in the Lord. And then was able to kind of lead them to go and regain. And, you know, I just feel, for some of you, there's, there's just... Because I'm talking now, for some of you, it's, there's a season of strengthening yourself in the Lord. Some of you need to get some old books off your shelf that you read years or decades ago that really touched you and really stirred your faith. Open them again. Strengthen yourself in the Lord and go after what's been stolen. Um, yeah, I just think there's a thing there for, for some of you. So, <clears throat> first thing, intergenerational fulfilment of godly desire and prophetic promise. The second thing is this. In this passage... They've got a building now. Ooh, you guys, you've got a building now. Ooh. <laughs> we haven't, we're in a school. We meet in a school. You guys have got a building. Look at you, you know. And uh, <clears throat> Buildings can help and buildings can hinder. Now, you all know that. I'm sure you've talked through, walked through all of this. Uh, you know, I'm sure that it's been part of your conversation. It's, a bit of one, it's one of those ones. It can go that way or it can go that way um, and I just felt to just say just a few things on this that I just felt quite quickened about as I was sort of thinking about this it was it, you know I loved the bit where, where right near, near the start where Solomon he's praying and he says um, where is he 
verse 18. Will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I've built. The house is glorious. I mean, it was was one of the wonders of the ancient world. It's magnificent. But Solomon looks at it and he looks at God and he goes, it's all a bit embarrassing, really. (laughs) Do Do you know what I mean? It's like he feels the heavens and the highest heavens. He's... He's, he's omnipresent. I mean, the whole of the cosmos pulsates. He holds it together. Pulsates with his glory. He, he, but the word of his power keeps all things together and moving. I mean, it's phenomenal. You build a, you build a house. We've got to get our perspective right. But you see, the house represented something. That's the thing. It represented something. You see, so he's saying, if, if we fall into exile if we fall into sin and they're carried into exile, and then from that place we kind of turn and face the direction and, and pray. It's, it's, it's a representation. They're praying, whether they're Babylon or wherever, you know, God here. It, 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 means, it means something. This place could really mean something. This place could mean something to a lot of people in Beckles. Yeah? This place could be where many people in Beckles say, I got born again there. Wouldn't that be amazing? Or whatever it is, you know, Wall Nelly, great wisdom there. But when things do get up and running, you know, throughout the week and all of, the, all of that, the way you can touch people's lives here, we are embodied people, we experience things in a place, don't we? There will be experiences that happen here that are powerful and meaningful. It represent what, what, they, what they experience in God. They're experiencing something so much bigger than this, but it happens here. That's a wonderful thought. And to sort of, oh yeah, no, we, you know, it's not this, this, you don't, you don't want to get utilitarian about this place. You want to, no, it's sacred because everything's sacred, but it's, it's for sacred purpose, right? Yeah, it's for sacred purpose. You want to see the, Jesus' name glorified through this resource. That's a wonderful thing to live with. It represents something. It can never contain what God's doing, which is the other side of it where I thought, I thought like, just the spirit, just quicken my own heart and say, listen, homes still matter. Homes really matter. And not to kind of migrate from homes, because you've got this place. But hospitality and homes. It's a very important part of church ministry. And one of the downsides of the building is as things can migrate away from home, people can stop being hospitable. Um, Third spaces, you might have never heard that phrase before. But a third space is it's not your home, it's not your church building, but it's just places where unbelievers are familiar and feel comfortable. Sometimes it's, it's, it's most, a most helpful place to meet and talk to someone who wants to find out more about Jesus or just connect with people that don't know Jesus yet isn't your home because they might not be used to that vibe. You know, I remember when I first came a Christian, you go in everyone's homes, you're going, oh, what are the rules? You know, it, wasn't my up, it wasn't my upbringing, or if it was, it was when my mate's parents were out. And then it was anything goes. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like house party. You know, that was, that was my paradigm. And then they, you got saved and you go to people's homes and it's like, you know, I remember once it was like two forks and two knives. Like, oh no. I don't know, I don't know how this, I don't know if you move outwards or you move inwards. You know, I was panicking. I wasn't used to, wasn't used to kind of going around so many, so many homes. So you've got a, bit, a little bit nervous. And for some people, a church building could do that. But there's, there's Weatherspoons. We love a bit of Weatherstones, don't we, James? That's the third space. 
That's the third space, in the sense that it's, it's not threatening. <coughs> it's not anyone's territory, it's just a neutral spot, but really, really important, very often, for just meeting people that don't yet know the Lord and just sharing life with them and loving them, hanging out. So they did what Jesus did, loads of, loads of third space stuff. Jesus sometimes didn't have a home. Um, and I think when it was, I think, I think it was his home that got the ceiling caved in. You can, if you read it, you know, with the friends and all of that, I think it was his home. If you read the wording, I think, I'm not, I don't want to build a whole thing on it, but, so he had a home sometimes, but it got a bit messy. And then obviously, taught in the, you know, he's in, in sort of the temple and, and other things, but most of what goes on in the Gospels isn't there or there. Most. It's on the road. Isn't it? Or it's around someone's, it's around someone's, he gets invited to someone's home, or it's at a wedding, or it's a, you know, or, or whatever. So I just wanted to say in that, don't get locked in. Yeah, don't get locked in. It's wonderful provision. But don't, don't allow it to kind of um, become an unhelpful thing. And don't over-spiritualise it. You know, what you tend to find is, is that everyone's here to go, yeah, great, we've got a building. But what's going on in people's minds is slightly different all across the room. But it's invisible. Expectations, preferences, prejudices. Yeah, listen, at the end of the day, you want to use this place, what you can, for the fervence of the gospel and the glory of God. Amen? Amen. And it may sometimes line up with your preferences and sometimes not. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It might not be what the thing you thought was really important, but actually it may still be the right thing. It's cool. Yeah, so you can just see God's name glorified here and people reached and touched and lives, lives changed. So um, don't get stuck in the building. Uh, allow it to be a blessing. And here's the third thing, and I want to end on this. In the Old Testament, who knows how many chapters there are in the Old Testament? How many chapters? <laughs> I wouldn't expect you to. I only found out yesterday when I typed it in Google. <laughs> There's 929 chapters in the whole of the Old Testament. Now, anyone like maths? It's not further maths. It's just like, you know, one and one sort of stuff. It's that basic stuff. Basic maths. Anyone like darts? Anyone been watching the darts lately? Luke Littler? Where have you guys been? Oh, <laughs> The maths is amazing with the counting down. Anyway, so, simple maths. 929 chapters in the Old Testament. You've got two chapters out of that. 929 that are about the dedication of the temple. 1 Kings 8, 2 Chronicles 6, which I read you. Now, <clears throat> in the Old Testament, the word pray, prayer, praise, prayed or prayers, I'll say that again, pray, prayer, praise, prayed or prayers, appears in the Old Testament 155 times. In the Holy Old Testament, 155 times. In those two chapters about the dedication of the temple, it appears 26 out of those 155 times. So two chapters out of 929 chapters contains almost 20% of the, of the appearance of the word uh, pray and prayer. The temple became known as the House of Prayer. Each of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, will quote Jesus, the clearing of the temple, this place was supposed to be a house of prayer for all, for all nations. Prayer is utterly central at the dedication of the temple. I think this place is going to be used mightily in prayer, this building. So glad to hear about different 
things happening. This I didn't know anything that was going on, but I was just thinking about it yesterday, and I was reading this passage, and I thought, I think this, things will be birthed here in prayer that will impact uh, many, many lives. I really do, really do believe that. Um, uh, I think it's going to, I think, uh, I think it will be a hub, I think it's supposed to be a hub of prayer. I think, I think that's, you know, I'll let you weigh that, but professedly that, that's what I think. I think it will be prayer for advance, prayer for the surrounding area. See, I, I live in London. That's quite different from living in Beckles. Neither's better, neither's worse. It's not value judgments, just different. Really, really different. What you can't do in London is kind of get locked into uh, a small area. You just can't do it, really. You can try to find community, but the transience... I don't know if it's true, so I read that the population of London changes by 20% each year. In and out. In and out. So, you know... Even as a church, you have to grow by a significant number every year in order not to shrink. Because there's always people going. It's just the way it goes. The nations. The nations. Oh, that's wonderful. We absolutely love it. It complicates things sometimes, but has such amazing potential to enrich us. And it's absolutely phenomenal. But it's not really a, a, a temptation to get locked in because of the nature of the beast. There are other temptations and other things. I guess for you guys, the temptation might be get locked in. You've got quite a, a, a contained area. That's Beckles, and then it stops. Because there's trees and fields afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's amazing driving into that. Going, wow, I'm now in Beckles. <laughs> How did that, you know, wow, so clear. Some of you might be in surrounding villages. I, I want to try to lift your heads and your hearts above and beyond this place. I mean, you know, having a Rodney and others here will help you with that, all the travelling that goes on. But it's so, so important that you carry in your heart the surrounding towns, villages, the nation and the nations. It's so important because you haven't got to go anywhere in order to reach them and touch them. With increasing migration, you will find you will find because it's beginning to happen. You will find more and more places that were typically monocultural become less and less so, and it is contingent upon all of you who are the cultural majority to reach out with warm welcome and big hearts to those who aren't. Because if you've ever been a minority, you will know that it creates questions and vulnerability, and you know just self-consciousness and the like. So, for those of you that are in the majority, it's contingent upon you to be enormously welcoming. That they might know that there's, a, there's, there's some people in Beckham, in Beckham, Beckles. <laughs> I've got Dave Beckham on my mind, sorry. Some people in Beckles that welcome them and receive them and they can find here home. And actually, the, 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 church in, the only reason why the church in the UK is not in a worse state than it is, is immigration. We are being so phenomenally blessed by the nations that were reached by the 19th century, 18th century missionaries that went where the gospel is just exploding, who now, you know, often move, move here with such zeal for the Lord, such knowledge of scripture, 
such experience of the Holy Spirit, revitalising the church in the UK. So it's an amazing and wonderful thing. Um, But then also you see, you can reach the nation and the nations with your resources, money, with your prayers. When my mum, we lost my mum a few years ago, she was poorly for a while beforehand and was unable to get out. Her response was to get in touch with me and say, well, I'm not getting out much anymore. Can you give me some more things to pray for? There's someone who gets it. There's someone who understands. Her reach was not shortened by the fact that she couldn't leave the home. That's someone who understands prayer. You know, I don't know what you own. I don't know what you carry as a church in your heart. Whether there's particular church plants or places in the world, I'm sure there are. But you know, to 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 know you can, you can play your part in that in the most amazing way. If you want to read a book that will convince you of that, read Mountain Rain. Anyone read Mountain Rain? Oh, it's just amazing. By Elizabeth Crossman, and it's a, it's a story about was it, is it about her grandfather? I think it is. Um, who was a missionary to the Lisu tribe in China, and it was a, it was a, it was an awful time, the first years, maybe even decades and then God taught him about strategic prayer and he would recruit prayers back in the UK, send them very specific requests, just saw the most amazing revival among those people so you've got this church in the UK praying specifically, deliberately and then you've got revival breaking out among these mountainous tribes in in China you know, direct correlation Yeah, you can reach the nations from here and I I just want to encourage you. You know, someone. I mean, I'm, I walked past. I missed it this morning. I, I, I came out of the Tesco's car park. I thought, I'm sure it's here. I was here in November. I just thought, oh, I've got it wrong. So I went up to another street. And then I started asking someone for Newgate Square. I don't know where I got out from. So no wonder he had no idea. So he's, I don't know what you're talking about. I thought, oh, it's not Newgate Square, it's Taylor Square. Okay. So Taylor Square, that's not even up. That doesn't come up on Google Maps. So I was just pumped in the postcode and it took me back to where I was at the start. And I went, oh, I can see Christians. You can spot us a mile off, can't you? Coffee and smiles. There they are. And, um, okay. So in one sense you go, you know, it's, it, you know, it could be easily obscure, hidden, you know, just a little place. But what God could do here, if you engage in faith with what he's given you, and make it a place of prayer, and commit to praying. I just think it could be absolutely uh, phenomenal for a miraculous breakthrough. I also felt this. I don't know what the other churches in the town are like, all right? whether there's many gospel preaching churches. I don't know. Okay. Sometimes when there aren't, you can sort of feel like, I'm, I'm, I'm the only one, or whatever. You can get into that mindset. Remember when Elijah said, I'm the only one, what did God say to him? Yeah, yeah. Hold on. How many, more, how many others were there? 7,000. You're not the only one. I also felt stirred about um, church unity. Prayer and church unity. Now, you've got to to walk that one carefully because if you just try and organise it, it's a nightmare. It is. It just just is. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry if that sounds shocking, but it just is because it just becomes about lowest common denominator, politics, tiptoeing around everyone. But if it's birthed in prayer and relationship, then it's phenomenal. Yeah? So don't get into an organisational mindset. People say, church unity, yeah, we must do this. No, stop, don't. Yeah? Pray 
and see who God begins to connect your hearts with. Because even if, I don't know, like I said, I know nothing about Beckles, but even if there were no other gospel-preaching, Bible-believing churches in this town, I tell you there will be earnest believers in this town who are in, for whatever reason, in churches that no longer trust in Jesus meaningfully or believe the Bible, but they're still there and they love him. And, you know, the, 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 the true church is, is invisible in terms of boundaries, right? He, the Lord knows those who are his. I just feel that, I just think, I love, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I help to lead the relational mission family of churches. I love RM. But I also think it's really important where you can to, to connect meaningfully with brothers and sisters in your locality. Um, that have that same heart and to build together I think it's so, so important and we've, we've had the joy of doing that in, in Camden it's just it's us and one, three, other, three other churches I think there could be a fourth coming in but it's all under the radar you know, when I turned up in Camden there was something called Camden, Camden Churches Together or something. I tried to find out what it was it was a name, there was nothing but there were some other churches that made friends with us who loved the Lord and loved us and we built relationally with them and it's beautiful you work together, it's fruitful and it's just a, it's a lovely thing and it's precious to the Lord. So I just think something of that could be birthed here. So, so there's some things I hope that it's been um, helpful. I want to just end um, on, 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 on this note really. Do you remember when Jesus um, was in the temple? Remember when Jesus, what Jesus said about it? Jesus, when Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Remember that? Amazing. They're going, what are you talking about? It took 46 years to build. <laughs> Even Nigel couldn't do that, you know. <laughs> what are you, what are you talk- but the comment is that they didn't realise he was talking about the temple of his body. Yeah. The only reason why we are his temple is we're connected to him, who is the true house of God, Jesus. The cornerstone. We're living stones. He's the cornerstone. And... Um, the, the, the willing, I just want to declare this, the willing laying down of his life, of the Son of God, <coughs> and resurrection, triumphant resurrection three days later. That, that, everything that we do as churches has to be built around that. And as soon as you begin to depart from the gospel, as soon as you begin to depart in some way and get into other things, you go wrong. You go wrong. Jesus is the cornerstone and the capstone, amen? Yeah. And if you are here and you don't know Jesus, I want, I want to say to you with all humility, but with all earnestness, he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Yeah. He's not, he's not one of many ways. If he was one of many ways, this stops becoming the faith and it becomes a hobby. Okay. We do this because we like this, but you do, you, 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 you do that. That's not it. The reason why people give thousands of pounds in this church or to the thing is because they believe, fully are convinced in their heart that what is happening here is part of what God is doing in the earth and that God is working out his purposes in the earth through his son Jesus Christ. And, and, that, and that Jesus is completely... And that the meaning of life is not a what, the meaning of life is a who... He, it, all things were made by him and for him. And until you know him, you can do life, but it's disconnected from the purpose for which it was made. And I want to just appeal to you today, if you've never turned away from your sins, 
if you've never personally put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, there is no reason why you cannot do that today and leave here knowing you are a new creation. And you might say, how on earth can me, how on earth can that happen? And I'll point you to the cross and say, because what happened there was so powerful, so meaningful, so revolutionary. All of the issues, all of the problems that could, should and do keep you from God and from knowing God and make God seem just like a kind of a concept in your head were dealt with at the cross so all the walls can come down and you can know him personally. And once you know him, you can't pretend you don't. Once you know him, you know him. And you know because you know because you know because he indwells you. And so I just want to call you to do that. The Bible says that God is calling all people everywhere to repent, to do a U-turn, to turn away from darkness and turn towards the light. We often don't. We're scared. We think if we turn towards the light, we're going to be exposed and judged. Jesus said, God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. So when you turn from the darkness and towards the light and confess all and bring it all out, guess what? You don't find judgment. You find salvation. But if you don't do that, in the, in, the, in the hope of hiding, you end up on the day of judgment in a very different situation. It will all come out. So bring it out now while there's mercy. Bring it out now while there's forgiveness. Bring it out now while you can be washed clean and know there's no skeletons in your cupboard and you can walk with your head held high and your conscience clean. Amen. Please hear that. And please, please, even, even to believers, if there's stuff you go... I'm messing about, I'm fiddling around with dark stuff. Bring it out. Why? Because today is a day of salvation and if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, okay? And there may be a bit of a pickle and there may be consequences if you've been into some stuff, okay? But work it through and walk in the light. It's worth it. It's worth it rather than, rather than getting into dark things. I just want to just exhort you to take this stuff seriously because... There's a, when, you're, when, you're, when your uh, conscience is clear before God, you can motor spiritually. And when your conscience is defiled, you lose your moral courage, you lose your moral power, you just, it, it affects you. I'm not saying you no longer belong to him, I'm not saying that, but something happens whereby the, the power drains so I want to urge you to walk in the light. Amen? Amen. Um, it's 12 o'clock. Uh, sorry if I preached too long. Over to James.